not only does it look like there's endless food, but all the food on the shelves is so perfectly shaped. I don't care about the size. I care about uh, how it looks. I want more of wheat produce. This is what I'm going to buy. I'm not going to buy a perfect apple. My name is Johanna Kiddock. My name is Maria Jensal. And this is The Five Podcast, where we try to find out what it actually takes to be the change we want to see in the world. podcast we are continuing our series on food waste this week and uh i wanted to ask you maria have you been wasting food since our last episode i wish so much that i could just say no no food has been wasted no food has been wasted whatsoever but uh, that is not the truth okay go back and listen to uh, our last episode where you can hear what it was like when maria tried to fill up a trolley with all the food that she wastes in a year <laughs> Do you want to listen back or is it too traumatizing? You can take some pizzas. 400, 800, 1200, 1600. Now I have five uh, packages of butter at my in my fridge. Butter is something that we can have so long. It doesn't, it, it's not getting old. Why are you buying butter all the time? God bless. <laughs> Why are you buying butter all the time? I was imitating my, my husband <laughs> in this clip because he's saying this to me all the time because we had so much butter. But I want to say about the butter, I'm getting so much better. Really? You've yeah. not bought any butter I this week? No. No butter. That's huge. No butter at all. I didn't buy butter. And I think it's because I've been more uh, conscious about it after we talked about it in the supermarket. I've been thinking every time I see butter, don't buy it. You look at the butter and you're like, no, don't no, don't come. No, Maria. not today, Satan. Yeah. Mm -mm 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 -mm. <laughs> you're not getting me today. That's good. I mean, baby steps, you know. Yeah. Someone so. else on one of our podcasts said that uh, perfectionism is the enemy of improvement. <laughs> so yeah. just you know if you avoid yeah. the butter that's a good start yeah yeah that's definitely a start um and also we spoke to tristam stewart last time yeah and we spoke a lot about how supermarkets and food conglomerates put a lot of effort into making it look like there's kind of endless food on the shelves yeah and i've been thinking a lot about that because i thought it was so interesting how he like how he kind of showed us that it was a concerted effort to make it look like there's endless food, you know? Yeah, it's like not just it's coincidental. It's a total luxury and like it makes us it's really a big a big trick. It's mm. like smokes and mirrors really because there isn't endless food, but I just thought we should like listen back to that quickly as well. For sure, um, you know, the supermarket system has turned food into a commodity almost like a Christmas decoration. Uh, we are completely divorced from food production, most of us, you know, the majority of the human species now lives in cities a long way from where food is being grown. And it's very easy to be tricked into believing it is an infinitely available commodity because that is precisely the business model of the big corporations is to put food on display because they know we have this deep evolutionary adaptive response to surplus which is to take some of it yeah and you can go back and listen to our last ep episode on food waste uh, on the website or whatever podcast app you use but uh, what he's saying here is probably why you and i put so much food into our baskets yeah he literally psychoanalyzed yeah. like everybody <laughs> and i've been thinking about something else related to this which is that 
not only does it look like there's endless food, but all the food on the shelves is so perfectly shaped, you know, like mm. right down to the meat product. If you look at the, the kind of chicken section, it's all these chickens that look like they're identical. They look like they've been made in a factory, but it's yeah. real. It's like a real chicken that was once alive. Yeah. And I've been just tripping out about that for the for ever since we spoke to Tristan last time. So I thought that maybe this week we could go a little bit deeper into that and talk about like food aesthetics and food waste that comes from having these high high food aesthetics and why we ended up in a place where food has to look precisely the same in order to end up on the supermarket shelf and i'm just thinking that it's kind of like the same perfection culture for humans too uh, i don't know if it's related but uh, but i think it's uh, interesting to find out because we need to kind of look like each other also mm-hmm. um so today we're going to dive deeper into the food waste phenomena and try and find all the ugly foods that didn't make it to our shelves so we will speak to an expert about what the reasons and consequences for food aesthetics is And uh, we present people with good and ugly veggie choices in the supermarket. And finally, we will speak to Carolyn from Eat Grim, a veg company that makes sure that even ugly food find a home. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, I can't wait. Welcome to food expert Sarah Phillips, who started the Ugly Producers Beautiful educational campaign in the US. Thanks for coming on the show, Sarah. Thank you for contacting me. Of course. Um, Can you talk us through the life of an ugly vegetable? Well, in in the United States, and I'm sure this happens worldwide, is that um, we have cosmetic standards in the United States dictated by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. <clears throat> and what happens is farmers grow produce, and it then gets graded for market. It has to be a certain size, color, shape, um, and weight. And if a vegetable or fruit doesn't meet those standards for market purposes, it gets discarded. And many times this becomes known as Now it's called ugly produce. And the discarded means that maybe it's left to rot in the field or it's sold as the second off to canners. Um, it's fed to livestock. And most of it uh, is just left to rot, is unsaleable. So do, do, do farms have these massive ugly vegetable graveyards that they just throw out all their kind of ugly carrots and parsnips and whatever well it's because of the economics it's cheaper for them not to harvest this produce because it costs them more to harvest it and have it just sit there than to just plow it under how many ugly vegetables uh, get thrown out about 40 percent and uh, what what happens when it gets thrown out like where is it going It gets put into landfills, and it just rots. And it um, it accounts for worldwide methane, methane gas emissions. So it's pollution. Pollution, right, and global warming. So how does this happen? Like you get thrown, you you throw out a lot of vegetables, and then it's polluting the air. Like what? Like why? <laughs> 
Because it just rots and it lets off methane gas, which goes into the atmosphere. How big a problem of this uh, is this? It's huge. It's a it's a huge. It's a in the United States it accounts for a large portion of U.S. methane emissions. So you can imagine what goes on worldwide because food waste is a worldwide problem. But why haven't we heard about this? <clears throat> we should care about it because. Um, You know, we just waste food all along from farm to fork. I mean, we waste food in our homes. You know, we overbuy produce. You know, we find it in our refrigerator and throw things out. I mean, it goes along with all the um, <clears throat> food waste that occurs, um, you know, all around the world. Can you tell us a little bit more about how your interest in ugly veggies began. Did you always find them beautiful or did that come later? Yes. Um, I grew up in Southern California and my mother always had organic vegetable gardens. So to me, um, I always thought I love produce, fruits and vegetables. And um, I always played in the garden and made up stories about produce. I mean, I've just been in love with it because of the shapes and colors. I'm an artist. So I think I was attracted to all the odd shapes and colors of produce. And also, I, I love to eat it. So I always thought that the wonkier-looking, misshapen produce was the most fun to look at, to make up stories about, and to play with. So I've always been attracted to odd shapes. Do you use the ugly veggies in your art? Yes, I'm a food photographer and I photograph ugly produce on Instagram and my ugly produce is beautiful Instagram account to show how beautiful these natural colors and shapes are. I love that so much. <laughs> I just That's just the best thing ever. We'll get back to Sarah in a minute because we want to go to the streets to figure out how much people actually care about their vegetables being pretty. We want to show them a pretty vegetable from the supermarket and an ugly one to see which one they will choose. This is uh, two parsnips. If you went to the supermarket, which one would you choose? This one looks nicest. You would choose the small one because it's prettier. Yeah, it looks prettier than the other. Well, this certainly looks nicer, but this is, you see, this is okay for maybe a soup, yeah. but not not to boil and stuff. This is like soft and old. The nutrition will be less. It looks a bit rotten, you know, the black marks. It, it, it doesn't really look uh, that delicious. Have you ever seen a, a vegetable like this in the supermarket? Not really, no. If they're both organic, then uh, If, like, would you still choose the pretty one? Yeah, I think so. Because it looks more delicate. <laughs> But it actually tastes the same. I agree. No, that's fine. Yeah. Do you know that uh, one third of every vegetable is uh, sorted away from the supermarkets because it's too ugly? No. Even though it tastes the same. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I would consider the looks also. But but not necessarily just the way it looks. Yeah. Why would you consider the looks? Uh, just another way of identifying the freshness of the food. They taste the same once you put them in your food. Yeah, but you can't know when you buy it. What are you concerned about with this one? Would it be like that you're worried it's not fresh or...? Yeah, I think so, yeah. The marks, it, 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 yeah, I'm afraid that it's not uh, fresh, yeah. 
looks a bit rotten. But this carrot is a perfectly, perfectly edible one and the nutritional value is the same. It's actually organic, whereas the other one isn't. If you saw more ugly uh, vegetables in the supermarket, would you buy them? Oh yeah, yeah, I would. So if you had the, uh, the choice between these two carrots, yeah. Yeah, which one would you choose? This one. Again, the small one. <laughs> the small and pretty one. <laughs> but uh, this one is bigger and it tastes the same. I don't care about the size. I care about uh, how it looks. Um, we went to the street and talked to people um, and showed them a pretty vegetable from the supermarket and an ugly one that you can't find in the supermarket. And some people really cared a lot about the vegetables being pretty. Why do you think that uh, some people still care so much about the aesthetics of, uh, of vegetables? Where did this, these uh, beauty standards come from? Well, the beauty standards have always been in our, our in our society. You know, you know, look at the um, all the uh, fashion magazines, and you know, our beauty standards are everything must be perfect, and, and it happens all throughout our society. So why shouldn't our fruits and vegetables be exempt from this? And and this isn't true for vegetables, right? Because just because it's ugly, it doesn't mean that it's less fresh or less tasty or less good in any way. Or what's up? What's like? What's the fact here? Odd-looking fruits and vegetables—they're just as good, if not tastier, than modified fruits and vegetables. You know, you have to modify these fruits and vegetables to to make them look the same or the same color. Because nature, nature doesn't make perfectly looking um, animals, humans, and fruits and vegetables. So it's crazy because the it's actually the pretty ones that are the, the mutated ones or the more unnatural ones relative to, to, to the ugly ones, but those aren't the ones that we see on our shelves. Correct. The ones that have been um, scientifically altered are the ones that you see in the supermarket. I'm not talking about genetic modifications. I'm talking about <clears throat> scientists have worked on apples, for example, to make them bigger, sweeter, and uniform in color. They've also um, altered the taste and added more sugar to a lot of these fruits and vegetables to make them more appealing to our palate. And so those are not the original heirloom that we see today that are more flavorful, maybe have more varied flavors in them, and that look, you know, weird, different shapes and colors. So actually, like, I'm just, I just uh, want to make sure that I hear you correctly, but the the ugly vegetables are more often more tasty, more fresh, more organic, more natural, more good. Yes. I want to show people that they're more natural, that the colors are more varied. Each apple is different looking. They're, they're kind of different sizes, different shapes. For me as an artist, they're just precious. Each one is, I, I don't like the sameness. I mean, who wants to look at an apple and, and it's just the same? <laughs> I mean, food is, food is beautiful. And I think if people see it that way, it's, You know, you'd, you'd want to eat it more. Some of the people that we spoke to 
also said that all they wanted was for the vegetable to be edible and fresh and that they actually didn't care if they were pretty. You know, when we showed them a parsnip that was ugly v one that was pretty, they said, oh, we don't care as long as it's, you know, edible and, and, and tasty. So whose interest is it that we don't eat ugly veg? Well, I think it's been shoved down our throat, so to speak. Um, I bet if we had natural-looking fruits and vegetables, I'm sure they would still sell. But why don't why don't the supermarkets sell them then? Because of the market dictates what they're selling, and they've sold ugly vegetables in supermarkets, and people go for the beautiful ones. Hey. So the market's hmm. dictating. And why was there never more of a kind of push from farmers to get their ugly vegetables on the shelves? Because, I mean, obviously it's a waste for them to keep throwing all these out. I think because of the campaign to show perfectness overwhelmed the... You know, it really started in the 1950s. It started in my lifetime. And I remember the 1950s were all about these germs in households and everything looking perfect and the kids' families looking perfect. I remember all the advertising starting up in the 50s about this perfection. And I think that's why people demand perfect fruits and vegetables because of the media and because of their societal upbringing and who you know, influence them. Okay, so you tell us that <laughs> this is actually a really, really huge problem because of pollution, because of food waste. Uh, there's There are many reasons, and actually the the ugly vegetables are more often uh, tasty, fresh, organic, uh, healthy in, in many ways. Uh, but what can actually be done about the vegetable beauty standards? Because it's the marketplace that has the money Starts buying more ugly produce. And that becomes more of a market force than the perfect produce. Then it turns the tide. You mean so consumers consumers are spending more money on ugly veggies, or they should? Right. Then it becomes a market force. That's the key in our society. I mean, we the people have the vote with our dollars. That's when the tide starts turning. So so we as consumers need to buy ugly vegetables from different companies who, who sell them uh, to show the supermarkets that we actually want these products. Exactly, and that's how change comes about in the world. Not just by screaming about it, but we're putting our dollars where our mouth is. That's when companies start saying, hey... This is where we better start supplying this kind of produce because there's a demand for it. That's the only way that change comes about. Is there anything more we can do? Like, should we go protest in front of a supermarket or protest in front of our governments to tell them that they should make it mandatory for, I don't know, supermarkets to have this and this many ugly veggies in the, on their shelves? Well, I mean, I'm not going to advocate protesting violence, it's dollars, it's money and profits that really make the big change in society. That's all these companies care about. We can scream all we want, but bottom line is dollars and profits.
right now there's also the virus that we need to think about instead of gathering together and demonstrate. Yeah, true. But I just meant like, where, is the only way that we can direct our frustration with our money? Like Money speaks louder than anything in this world. <laughs> okay. I know in the United States, money is profits and money speak the loudest. And if consumers start buying ugly codas and going, you know, and demanding and asking for it, I want more ugly codas. This is what I'm going to buy. I'm not going to buy your perfect apple. Then these big these corporations that supply the supermarkets, then they're like, oh, wait a second. We better change. That's the only thing that really makes a big difference. According to Sarah, our greatest weapon in the fight for ugly veggies is our money. So we decided to speak to someone who's leading the charge by actually selling ugly veggies directly to consumers. Carolyn Schema, co-founder and CMO at Eat Grimm. Welcome and thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. So first of all, we just want you to explain to us what is Eat Grimm. Yeah, um, Eat Grimm is a platform for what do we call ugly by nature and surplus fruits and vegetables that would normally end up going to waste. And by ugly, we mean, let's say, curvy cucumbers or crooked carrots, but actually also everything that may be perfectly pretty, but has been overproduced and therefore cannot be sold on the regular market. So we decided to contact farms and um, source this ugly and surplus produce directly from them and then bring it to the market in form of our Grim boxes, uh, which is basically a food box subscription with fresh fruits and veggies that can get uh, delivered to your door or to a nearby pickup place, um, but also by supplying food businesses that want to source more sustainably. How but how do you write like how a vegetable is meant to look into law? Like how do you write, okay, a cucumber has to be so-and-so green, it has to follow this palette. Is that what it says? It's, it's more about like uh, aesthetics. So it has to be a certain size, so like it cannot be a cr uh, curvy. So it, it has, uh, it's only allowed to differ in like some millimeters from like the perfect diet. So but why? Yeah. Why? Uh, well, <laughs> I think I think it's actually because you know, um, globalized world, um, uh, like standards are usually um, um, invented to make everything easier, to make trade easier, to make uh, to ensure efficiency in our globalized world. world. So you kind of need to have a common quality standard. And I think that was the intention of it. But um, I think now it's pretty, it's very outdated. I don't know, like basing everything on perfect perfectionism, it, it results in waste. Mm. Look at it, like a perfect world, a perfect life, a perfect fruit and vegetable, it doesn't exist. Why, yeah, and why do, why do we come to believe that fruits need to look perfect? It's like body standards, uh, unrealistic body standards for, <laughs> for, for women too, yeah, <laughs> women and yeah. vegetables. For example, supermarkets, I mean, they also only sell pretty produce and um, the reason for that is because if they would start introducing ugly vegetables to their palate um, then the prices for the pretty ones couldn't be kept high and I think that's also a reason. Okay so if you had to point to whose fault is it that we have these like ridiculous aesthetic standards for our vegetables is it who is it Europe or the supermarkets or the farmers or It's a tricky question, but I would definitely say that um, many factors are leading to that, but definitely supermarkets, legislation, 
And I think like generally also, you know, pressure to be perfect. I think that's also enforced by just like our upbringing, what has been told to us, you know, how we should be. Um, so I think it's like a combination of many factors. Yeah, vegetables are the same as <laughs> as human beings. We're all a part of this perfection culture. I know. I'm imagining like a little Pixar movie of like the, like an ugly little potato that like has to <laughs> yeah. make it from the farm to the supermarket. I think that's also why like concepts like ours are starting to pick up. Um, mm. Like we're tired of like being forced to be perfect and uh and i think like now with like this increased focus on sustainability and rising awareness of climate change we also notice that striving towards a perfectionist culture is the opposite of sustainability because it's causing so much so how how do you uh, how do kind of restaurants and consumers generally respond to the the vegetables that they get oh, great Really, especially like I think for us, it's really rewarding also to to have this like um, two-folded business model, right? Like not just working with private consumers, which in our opinion is really important um, for like the whole education part and the whole like raising awareness um, in our society about the issue we're solving. But then on the other hand, working with food businesses, um, it's really great um, for the impact, you know, like because you can literally sell tons of produce in just one order to a canteen mm -hmm. and like the feedback that we've gotten so far is that everybody loves how especially the food businesses like how how fresh the items are because we actually get them directly from the farm mm -hmm. that means so we can we can cut out quite a few extra steps in between so the plan for eat grim is to go to sweden next year and is it to take over the whole world or like How how big do we go? <laughs> At least Europe, yeah. Okay, great. Exactly. Well, mm -hmm. Carolyn Shima, co-founder and CMO of Eat Grim, thank you so much for talking to us. It was a big pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Five Podcast, where we seek out inspirational change makers and try dipping our toes into some of their ideas. The podcast is brought to you by Five Media, a new global media platform that aims to be a catalyst for progressive action. Go to fivemedia.com for more Five content and subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode. New episodes out every second Friday. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye. <laughs>